When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your etiquette questions about family-only vacations, the use of master in business administration as a title or not, divvying up the pastry box at work, and how to tell your sister her house smells. Plus, your most excellent feedback, an etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment on exiting a party from our favorite Rituals of Dinner by Margaret Visser. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. Hi there. You're still here. It's I am still here. Three weeks in a row. <laughs> and I am, I am dutifully holding down the fort. At I home. am manning exactly the home front. And um, You're flying solo, dude. I don't know that that, aside from your business trips, I don't think that's actually happened since you and Pooch got together. I'll confess I'm a little at a loss. Yeah. I go home at night. I turn on a single light bulb. And I sit in <laughs> the empty house in its pale glow. Incredibly simplistic cousin of mine. You're so cheeky. So, yeah, what's going on? Pooja's off with Anisha on vacation. They decided to go. They took little Raju with them. Little Raju. So the, the other three living beings, life forms that yeah. I share my home with are all gone. Mm-hmm. And the place is, is quiet and I miss them dearly. But I will see them very soon. I will spend this weekend with them. I just totally pictured you like armed tooth and nail, like dagger in mouth, like Rambo style, like coming out of the woods, like I will fend for myself and eat off the land. I feel like your inner mountain man is like about to reemerge in like maybe seven hours. <laughs> you know, you're not far <laughs> off there there is a certain mad max quality to the vacuuming the house cleaning the chores the, the the list of things that i'm saying now that i'm not carving out time away from baby or doing this or that i'm i'm trying to maximize and take most advantage you just brought of this up opportunity a particular chore that you asked me about the other day and you were shocked to hear my answer but you've been looking for vacuum requests i've been vacuuming so furiously my, <laughs> my vacuum literally exploded on me and that's not the right use of literally but it did sort of spectacularly sputter to a stop not to start again and i was thinking the other day i should really ask our audience if there are any good recommendations for a vacuum out there because i'm definitely in the market and reading online reviews is not proving terribly helpful. No, I cast my vote for Amile. 
I have one. I got one about 10 years ago. The thing's indestructible. It has been kicked down my stairs so many times. I'm surprised it's still alive. But I threw my vote out there for that. And I said not the super expensive version one, but the kind of mid-range one. Noted. Already at the top of the list. Yay! Well, that's awesome. I'm headed out to L.A. later this week, so that's going to be really cool. But it's also my first trip to your what I think of as homeland, Dan. Just so you know, audience, over the past 10 years that Dan and I have worked together, you know, there's a little bit of competition about who gets to go where and on what trips. And often, <clears throat> I will fully admit, the phone call comes in for me to go somewhere and my schedule does not allow it. So Dan's gotten like a cruise and you've gotten multiple trips to L.A. I like the L.A. trips. Of course you do. It's like going home. I never begrudge Dan going to L.A. because I know he just has such a deep connection to L.A. and Claremont and it's like good to go home and see people. But it has always turned out in 10 years, 10 years is a long amount of time that every single L.A. based trip that I've been asked to go on, I have not been available for. And Dan has gotten to go instead. So this is my moment. This is my chance to meet L.A. And I am genuinely enthusiastic <laughs> for you. And I'm also looking forward to getting to play a, a role that I don't often get to play. Make some introductions. Yes, I'm thank you. I'm looking forward to introducing you to some of the folks in Southern California whose company I enjoy so much. I am so excited. Excited to meet them after years of hearing about them, and I'm so excited for this trip. So more to come on that when I get back from it. But Dano, thanks so much for having such an awesome base to welcome me when I arrive. Well, um, I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to answering some questions. Are you looking forward to answering some questions? Let's get to it. Awesome Etiquette is stoked to be answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Our first question is titled Family Only, and I think this is one a lot of people actually deal with, especially when friends and family get so closely mixed. It begins. Hello, Awesome Etiquette Podcast. My parents have a beautiful home on a lake in northern Michigan. And when I was growing up, they put up with a revolving door of friends popping in to play on the water. We have countless happy memories in that house. My husband and I recently moved away from my parents, and our time spent with them is limited to a few savored visits each year. We're planning a holiday for the 4th of July, a weekend my entire family has been planning and looking forward to for months. A dear friend of mine has visited my parents' home many times and has always been received warmly and made to feel like family. She and her husband are expecting their first child in August and asked me if they too could visit over the holiday weekend. They see it as a last chance to relax before the baby comes. I know my parents would never refuse this request, but I also know that deep down they would treasure one-on-one -on -one time with just the kids. And truthfully, I feel the same. I don't fault my friend for essentially inviting herself to a family gathering, but I don't know how to turn her down without hurting her feelings. Thanks for any insight you can provide. Best, Trish. Trish, I am sympathizing with your situation <laughs> as I'm preparing to join my wife at a shared family home on the beach that has been very generously extended to us for the next couple weeks. And 
definitely, um, while not wanting to, to downplay the genuine discomfort that you feel, this is such a great problem to have, that right. you're looking forward <laughs> to this nice vacation and that you have such a history of sharing that experience with others that there are some other people who have inquired about coming along. And I, I think that you're in really good territory here, whatever decision that you make. So I'm just enjoying this moment with you for just a moment. <laughs> you're like, I'm here with you. <laughs> I personally think that it's lovely when friends are so close that these kind of inquiries aren't frowned upon. We have really good friends that I grew up with down on Martha's Vineyard, and they always say, if you ever need to come, just let us know. If we can't accommodate you, we'll let you know. And that's always worked. And I've called, and sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, sometimes they say yes, but only for part of the trip. So having these relationships where you are that close, it's okay, but it's also okay for both parties. (laughs) And what I hear in there is that one of the things that makes it okay is that it's okay to say no. Yeah. If it's not going to work out for you, you are on really sound footing. You're on solid ground. And and I said before, whatever choice you make, and I really see this as your choice. If you want to honor that feeling that you remember from your childhood of this being a very open experience where different people come and participate and that just almost seems to extend and grow the family and the family-like experience and atmosphere and, and, and involve more people in it, that's absolutely a choice you can make if It doesn't feel quite like that. If these visits are becoming more precious, as you mentioned, you've moved away and you really want to carve out some time to really spend with your parents and spend that solo one-on-one time with them, that is so understandable. It is no problem at all to express that to your friend and to, to decline this particular request. They've asked to be invited, but they haven't actually invited themselves. You're the one who gets to do the inviting because it's you who's going to play the host in this situation or not. I like that little twist you put on there. The techni- Even though they're inquiring about getting an invitation, that's what they're doing. They're asking you for for an invitation. I like that little nuance, Dan. Um, One thing I did want to say was I would just double check with my parents only because what if without telling anyone, the parents had already like invited one of their friend couples for like two days of the four day weekend or something like that. I don't know how much that Trish and her parents have spoken about whether this really is a family only trip or whether other, you know, uh, invitations have been extended. And I would just check in there first, because if it turns out that this is already not going to be just the family and you just weren't aware of it, maybe you'd feel a little more like, OK, yeah, let's let our other friends come to. And that's, of course, if space and, and everything is, is able. But I thought I'd just throw it out there. For the most part, I think exactly as Dan has said, you know, it's your choice to invite or to, or to not invite these folks even after they've asked. And you might say something like, um, oh, I wish we could, but we're doing this trip as just family this time. Or, oh, you know, this isn't this isn't the weekend for it, but another time we would love to have you and the new baby up or something like that. You know, extend, make that extension for the future, but be clear that this isn't the right weekend. I like that idea of offering a a future consideration, particularly if you are open to that. And that's a great way to extend and elaborate on your no (laughs) in a way that lets someone know that they really are genuinely welcome. I even took a crack at a sample script. Read it, read it, cuz, read it. I I said almost the same thing, but I just I prefixed it with a, a usually we love hosting at the lake house. There's something that acknowledges that in the past this has been really common. This has been something that you've done before. It's a reasonable ask. 
this year we really want to keep the focus just on family or it just won't work on our end this year. Always A piece good of language. language that I've heard you use before <laughs> and really like also because it puts it in, in your court. It takes responsibility yourself. Let's say that parents had invited friends of theirs for a couple days over this trip. Then you're not lying by saying it's just for family and later on people see pictures of non-family there. You can say, you know, it won't work on our end this time. I love that, Dan. But I love I love what you said of recognizing that in the past – you're asking should be considered totally normal, totally correct, because we've had such a good time with you up here in the past. I think that that is so generous and good to include. Trish, we hope that gives you some options and that no matter how this weekend shakes out, y'all have a wonderful time and enjoy celebrating the 4th of July at this treasured family summer home. It looks like everything is ready for the weekend. When mother and dad entertain, remember that you share the role of host. It's your home, too. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Up next is the MBA question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. In what situation should an MBA put MBA at the end of his or her name? I currently have mine at the top of my LinkedIn profile and resume in the About Me section, but I don't have it written after my name, i.e. Tessa Newgrad MBA. I don't want to be too pretentious, but I'd like to call it out where it's appropriate. Is the way I'm doing it correct? Thanks, Tessa. Great question, Tessa. So one of the things that I first did was I went to our book. And sure enough, in the titles chapter, when it comes to an MBA, a master's in business administration, that's what it stands for. We actually don't give any advice on it because it's so uncommonly listed. And 
I want to just say that that in no way diminishes the amount of hard work that it took you to receive your master's in business administration. However, it is not something that gets used as, you know, a comma after our names. It's not like your mother who has a doctorate in education and when she is presented professionally always uses the EED. So it's definitely not common, but the place where you would use it is on your resume to list your experience and the level of school that you've graduated from. Because our book didn't have like the lowdown and the full rundown of how to use a degree title or designation, I turned to eHow and we got some good advice off of eHow and it definitely stated that you don't use it in your name after the title of your name. Like, So you wouldn't list uh, Tessa Newgrad, MBA in your LinkedIn title. Apparently LinkedIn doesn't allow you to use titles that way. I don't, I, because I don't have any letters after my name, I'd love anyone who's had more experience with this to fill in. But it was one of the notes in the editor's note of the article. I do like how you're thinking about how you present this credential on LinkedIn because we do advise people to think about your, the LinkedIn profile as an online business card or even as an online resume. A lot of searching and recruiting goes on via LinkedIn and there is a place on LinkedIn for you to list your education yeah. and that's absolutely the appropriate place to get this particular credential or calling it a title isn't really – quite right because it's not commonly used as a title. It's really a credential of yours at this point. And the thinking behind that is a little bit specific to the idea that oftentimes if the credential is important to the work that you're going to be doing, if there's some sort of credentialing agency. So a doctor puts MD after their name because that's an important credential. They aren't allowed to practice medicine without that credential where you can open a business without being an MBA. So it's not a credential in quite the same way. So you don't have to display it in quite the same way. It's important when it's relevant to the particular thing that you're presenting yourself for. And oftentimes when you're looking for a new job or when you're looking to engage a new client, that is relevant information. So figuring out how to get it in there is a good idea and there is a place for it. And you're right that it's not the title, your name isn't really the particularly right place for all the reasons that my cousin Lizzie has expressed, that it's in some ways assumed and it even can make you look like you're new to the field to include it. It makes you look like you're a recent grad or or this is the impression that it can create. But what was interesting was that the article that I read was saying that that actually can be beneficial if you are a recent grad. And basically, that is your only credential in the field because you haven't had a chance to get a job yet or you haven't had to do work beyond internships and things like that. And so... You can see sometimes where it's good because it identifies you that way and also where you might want to let go of it very quickly once you get your first job so that you're really going on the credit of the work that you're doing as opposed to the credit of the um, education you've received. And I just want to say that, again, this in no way diminishes the hard work it took to get that MBA and that in some places – You may actually even include it because it's a focus on the type of MBA that you have. So you might want to specify that you have an MBA in marketing, for instance. But you don't put it on your business card typically. It doesn't come associated with your name and title places. It's not a part of your title. It's That's the real distinction we're trying to make here. It's not a part of your title. It is a part of your credentials and your schooling. As long as you keep in mind that impression that that it can create if you overuse it, I think you should be in good shape making the choices about when you want to highlight this particular credential and when you're dealing with repeat business or you don't want to necessarily emphasize it. We hope this helps. Good luck. Question number three is titled, I cut, you choose. Dear Awesome Etiquette, I have an office food-related question. 
In my office, we are nicely treated to breakfast treats on our birthdays, often bagels or pastries. There is a contingent of people in the office who like to take a small piece of several different flavors of bagel or pastries, maybe because they are pretending to themselves that if they eat four separate quarters of a pastry, it is less than just eating the whole thing. Or maybe because they want to sample the different varieties. I'm going with the latter probably being the more common of the two. Just going to say that. Whatever the rationale, I find this behavior to be rude. Since by the time a latecomer gets to the pastry box, there are just randomly sized pieces of crumbs left over that don't look appealing. Sometimes people literally just cut off one bite's worth and then leave the rest. I just take a whole pastry because who am I kidding? I'm going to eat it all. But the last time I did this, someone in my office chastised me because, and I quote, that was the only chocolate croissant in the box, end quote, end quote. And what if other people wanted to try it? I offered this individual a piece of the croissant to appease them. Am I wrong to think you should just take a pastry for the sake of not mangling all of the food for others? Sincerely, Lauren. Lauren, thank you for this question. I'm sensing an emerging classic here. <laughs> Lizzie and I have a shorthand that's developed around a certain kind of question. We call it the pizza topping question. Right. Because there was a question we answered on this show about division of pizza when different people had requested different pizza toppings or had abstained from offering their input on which pizza toppings were going to be on the pizza in the first place. And we got a lot of feedback about this question. Unexpectedly. And to me, this is a classic that fits right into that territory. It's about sharing food. It's about a collective resource. And I think there are a couple of different approaches here that make sense. And there are going to be lots of ins and outs around the decision making here. And Lizzie titled this question, uh, I Cut, You Choose, which reminds me of a classic etiquette solution, the the old wise owl and the cricket or whatever, (laughs) or squirrel, I'll divide, you choose. Um, And this also reminds me of another sort of classic etiquette uh, maxim that comes into play, which is the first come, first serve maxim. And another, which is just keep it neat, keep it clean. And you've got a couple of different sort of big principles that I think you want to keep in mind as you as you make your choices, because there are going to be a couple of valid choices you can make. I like that you noted the keep it neat, keep it clean one, because these pastries should look enjoyable for everyone. And I know what Lauren's talking about when you see kind of the mangled squish croissant, you know, and like there's flakes everywhere and like maybe the toppings of the berries on the fruit tart have come off and you're just like, let's all look crummy now. You can picture this box at the end of this divvying up being sort of an unappealing collection of broken pastries. Right. And I do really want to just say that when you're dealing with one of these collective frustrating situations, try really hard not to assume. Try not to assume why people are choosing to take things for why they take. They might be, you're right, following their own diet, and so they want just a bite, and they're really happy to get that bite and participate with that bite. They might want the variety. They might be fooling themselves, but I think it's dangerous to assume so, and it it creates that negative internal monologue about it rather than giving the benefit of the doubt internal monologue that I think we so often need to really exercise. I think this is a great example of that because you might be assuming to yourself, oh, this person's cutting these up into little pieces for their own reasons. And if they're really thinking about sharing yeah, and then all of a sudden you've got the only chocolate croissant, (laughs) your assumption about other people's motives and the decisions that you end up making end up not being in alignment. So my thought here is to turn to 
how has the company structured? This is a company thing that they do. And we used to do this, too. We did birthdays. We would do a cake for all the birthdays in the month. And sometimes people like my sister were really more fans of pastries from a certain place. So we'd go get pastries instead. And you have to think about what's going on here is the person who's purchasing these for the group, purchasing, expecting one pastry or one bagel for everyone, you know, each individual. Or are they really expecting that it's about a half a pastry per person? Or I think that part of this is on whoever it is that's actually purchasing these items and bringing them into the office. And I would put it on that person to either pre-cut the pastries into whatever division people think is right, whether it's bite size, whether it's halves, whether it's quarters, whether it's thirds, whatever it is. But I think whoever it is that's displaying them and presenting them should be the one cutting them up. You can use a napkin then to be holding them so that you're not getting hands all over other people's food. But I think that would be the way to go. Or to indicate there's enough for everyone to have one pastry. Please take one pastry and avoid cutting in half unless you have a partner you'd like to split with. I mean, these seem like ridiculous office rules to set, but Lauren's writing in concerned about it. Her co-worker chastised her for picking up a chocolate croissant. Clearly, it's a problem in the office, folks. So let's solve it. I say the person bringing them in or the person managing this office treat really make it clear what's acceptable. If they've been divided, take a division and then on your own, go split it with someone else if you want to share with a partner. But don't just keep hacking them up to smaller and smaller. The gal here at VPR who has an issue with this was like, it comes down to that last bite. And people keep cutting that last bite in half and in half and in half and in half. And we could go forever until we're just eating dust. And she said, just take the last one for goodness sake. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I wish you could have seen the pause on Dan's face. Well, no, you made so many good points <laughs> there. No, and I, I think there are so many angles to this, and I do appreciate all of the different tacks that you're, that you're taking. I, I love the emphasis on not touching other people's food. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think the onus being on the person providing the treats is another sort of the heart of the advice that I was hoping to mine here was be sure that you get enough for everybody. Be sure that it's presented in a way that's coherent, that you don't get variety just for the sake of variety, that you get enough of the things that people like, that there's enough for everybody. Thank you for saying that, because I also wanted to for half a second revisit the idea that Yes, Lauren took the only chocolate croissant and she took the whole thing. But really, what was the intention here? Like, if that whole thing is there, someone should feel free taking it. I don't I don't know. I no, don't absolutely. Know. When you talk about the parsing and the parsing and the parsing, at some point someone picks up the last thing. Yeah. That's going to be someone. And that's the first come, first okay. serve courtesy that does emerge. And if you're the absolute first, first person through the line, there might be a courtesy to not taking all of something first? that's meant to be cut up or shared. Yeah. But if you're also... Also, looking at something that's got a clear division, these are individual serving sizes and a pastry is oftentimes reasonably assumed to be an individual serving size. I think that you can pick up the last chocolate croissant and eat it. I love the idea of taking your sharing private. (laughs) You can always (laughs) offer to split that blueberry scone or whatever it is with the person who you know loves blueberry scone. Okay, the one thing that we haven't brought up here is the idea of the latecomer. And I think that you don't get to kind of have a grudge about this if you're not showing up for the the celebration part, the part where maybe you sing happy birthday or where it arrives and you offer the birthday person their, their choice of pastry first. I think it's really important to recognize that as a latecomer, I'm not sure that you really get the 
the uh, preference to make choices, but I also recognize that you might have scheduled a 9 a.m. and a 10 a.m. call. You might not be getting to that pastry box until 11 a.m. And boy, it's nice when there is some variety left. But boy, it would be nice if it didn't look like crumbs when you arrived to it. I don't know. It seems to me that this office needs to spend a little bit of time deciding what their pastry policy is going to be and how to execute it. Well, now that we've dove right down in, we... I want a croissant so badly. Can I just say I would like a croissant and a cinnamon roll and a Danish with cheese and fruit. So let me close out by asking you, would you rather show up and find a box with four different quarters of pastries or one pastry that you would maybe want all of? I would want the quarters. I like variety, especially when it comes to pastries. Clearly, I just listed off four that I would like right now. (laughs) My body can't handle four. I like variety. I would rather come up and see that that box of pastries split into halves or thirds or, or quarters, like you're saying, and really nice and neatly so that I can have a sample, like two little samples of something that's about half a pastry altogether. That's more than enough in my book. Not everyone else's book, just my book. You asked what I wanted. <laughs> and I was thinking about what I would want. Yeah, what do you want? I really like your title of this question because I like the idea of being able to take a smaller portion myself. If someone else has cut up a bunch of pastries in a box, I think I'm less likely to pick up anything. Really? That's, that's so interesting. So even though you like the idea of cutting, you would like to be in control of the cutting that happens, not for getting the bigger slice or anything, but just because it's unappetizing to walk up to a box of like mangled pastries. Yes, Lauren, somewhere in there, there's an answer for you. But we do think that it really lies with having your company figure out a structure that works for them and a policy that works for them so that individual employees aren't left to the kind of judgment and assumptions that that have been happening that have made some of this a bit uncomfortable. Our next question is called Smell You Later. <laughs> oh, come on. Simpsons classic. You don't know? Right over my head. Oh. All right. Read the question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My wife is an avid listener of your show, and I really enjoy it when I listen with her. Recently, we went to brunch with my sister, and afterwards, she invited us back to her boyfriend's house to meet their new dog. As soon as we walked in the door, we were hit with just a really offensive odor and could not stand to be in there. We think it was their old dog combined with other things. My question is twofold. One, should I do anything about it? Should I tell her? And two, we really could not stand the smell and would not be willing to go back. What should we do if she invites us? Thank you so much, Max in the Midwest. Oh, Max in the Midwest. First of all, I am sorry because this is a difficult situation. This is difficult when it's body odor in the office, as Dan so eloquently tackles on a regular basis. This, um, Just so we're clear, Dan doesn't tackle his own body odor or mine. I just mean that that's a very frequent question in our seminars. Sorry. No, so frequent. This is my first thought also. No, yeah, it's just like that, except it's harder because it's someone else's home. You want to be delicate. When someone else lives in something or um, they're dealing with it on a 24-7 basis, you really want to be incredibly careful with how you present to them that this is definitely a problem. This is your sister. This is, I'm assuming, close family. A lot of family can have difficult conversations. Some can't. So I would stress, number one, know your relationship with your sister, her personality, and use that as your jumping off point for how to proceed. I couldn't agree more. And as far as how you handle an invitation to go back, I think that it will really depend on how you're able to navigate that first question. Absolutely. If this is something that you're able to bring up and talk about, I think that 
you're going to be in 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 good shape yeah. <laughs> for that next visit. But if it's something that you've never mentioned before, I wouldn't bring it up in the context of an invitation. To oh my goodness, come back. no! <laughs> I would think of a way to artfully decline. I, I wouldn't lie or obfuscate about my my reasons. I would just make it a very simple decline and and leave it at that. And maybe note if that happens repeatedly because that might inform your decision to make this something that you actually talk about and address. I think so too. My thought here though is that we should really deal with this if we're going to deal with it before that next invitation ever gets extended. So if you have the kind of relationship where you can talk about this type of thing with your sister, I know that even in strained family relationships, there's still a sense of families kind of allowed to speak up. And it's not always the easiest, but even even with difficult relationships, I've been surprised at the number of times, even at various points in a relationship, you know, you're, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. And even sometimes when you're down, you still have a leg to stand on and speak to siblings and family about difficult situations. So my vote is that if, if y'all are good enough with each other that you can go to brunch and, and have a good time and all that, you're probably in really good territory to say, hey, Karen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is there's a very strong odor in the house. And it's it seems to be a couple of things mixed together. I just didn't know if you were aware of it. I know when we have a smell in our house, it's just it's hard for us to tell because we live in it. That's a great sample script. You're already getting Sorry, in. I'm no, ahead today. <laughs> I, I, I like Sorry. it because you're getting into that territory where we're, we're thinking about what is it that you actually say. Yeah. And I, I like a number of the things that you did there. You um, talked about if the roles were reversed, yep. if this were something that were going on for me. You acknowledged sort of their their goodwill and their good intent. This is something you might not be aware of. And oftentimes you don't. You don't smell your own bad breath or your own body odor. We do count on our family and our close, close friends to clue us in about these things because yeah. it is something that it, it's amazing for how personal it is that it can go under the radar mm-hmm. and precisely because it's so personal. It's something that we are so close to or connected to. Another thing that you did that I really liked is you addressed the problem. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> th- th- these are personal issues and you're you're right that we need to be sensitive and careful with how we address them. We also need to say what we mean when that moment comes, when you're having the discussion in private, when you've primed someone to have that discussion. You might have even asked permission. You know, there's something a little awkward I'd like to talk with you about. Do you have a second? Yeah. In those moments where you've you've carved out that space that's respectful, that's considerate, that's aware, that's private, that you then actually address the concern. <laughs> yeah. The last time I visited we your noticed. boyfriend's house, your house, we noticed this was something and, and it bothered us enough that we were talking about whether or not we could come back. You could be clear about something like that. That might be a step too far. Start soft and see if you get a reaction from them that's positive or negative because you just want to address it simply. I even in my sample script had written an overwhelming odor and I'm 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 like thinking that's too much. You're editing that down. Yeah, already I'm as saying you hear just it. keep it simple. There's a noticeable odor and we just wanted to see if you were aware of it, if you wanted any help with it or if not, we understand because really someone's home is their space and giving them the choice to live in something and deal with it is is really up to them. And I think you present the idea. If they get defensive, if they're not happy, if they're aware of it, but not willing to deal with it at the time, you just then have to back off and then do your invites, invite them to your place, but decline when they invite you to theirs. And that's just the way it'll kind of be. 
I, I like the I way mean, the sample script is developing as I'm hearing you okay. talk it out. I, what I love about that is your willingness to listen and your willingness to offer to help. That you're you're entering this discussion prepared to not just present your case, but also to to really assess how it's landing. And if someone gets very defensive, you can back right off and let it be. If they are surprised and concerned, <laughs> you might have some ideas to help, or you might be able to affirm the situation. No, no, this really is like this. And <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for letting us know. We plan on investigating further. That might be enough. That might be all it takes. Or they might really call on you for some help. And I think being prepared, having raised a problem to offer that support or that help is also a really nice idea. Max in the Midwest, we're so glad that you like listening in on the show. And we're glad that you chimed in also. This is a great question. And we hope this helps. Maybe you're right. It is kind of dirty. Ouch. It's a story of improvements. What a difference. Yes, what a difference. Not only in the home, but in the family, too, since they learn to share the work at home. And thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. So each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And sometimes y'all have awesome suggestions, too. We love it. Our first piece of feedback comes from Jessica regarding episode 141, where Madad Peter and I answered questions about exhausted and over-socialized hosts and the guests who kept inviting themselves and their kids. Jessica writes, Dear Posts, I love your podcast and the framework of consideration, respect, and honesty. Thank you for sharing your advice and etiquette process. I'd like to offer an idea for Exhausted and Over-Socialized from Episode 141. One other issue E&O mentioned was that their friends wanted to get together more frequently than E&O preferred and kept asking to come over. Because E&O likes the couple, my idea for gently rationing visits is to say something like, this isn't a good weekend for us, but are you available? And then insert date two to six weeks from now or E&O's preferred frequency. This signals the desired frequency and gives E&O something positive to say the next weekend if they ask again and E&O wants to decline. We're so looking forward to seeing you on the 12th. If E&O wants to soften it even more and hasn't planned all the details, E&O could follow up with something like, what do you think we should make for dinner? I was thinking about X or Y, but I'm open to anything. If the couple keeps pushing, I hope E&O have the confidence and patience to keep repeating, it's just not a good weekend for us, but we look forward to seeing you on the 12th as many times as necessary, maybe with gently increasing slowness and emphasis after the fourth or fifth time, without feeling like they owe an explanation or excuse. Best regards, Jessica from Tacoma, Washington. Great advice! Bravo, Jessica. Lizzie and I are clapping here in studio. And this question to me is really relevant to the question about declining the invitation to the vacation home. It's a very similar situation. I love this idea of outlining the time when it's going to happen and then using that as your referral point and then also having options to soften the whole answer. I think this is a brilliant sample script with... Some uh, choose your own adventure kind of branches <laughs> to it. I love that reference again. So, bravo, Jessica. Thank you so much. A really good feedback. Mm. 
And Gretchen wrote in about episode 142. She had an idea for how to handle it when you visit a place where you know a lot of people and don't have time to see everyone. Hello, Dan, Lizzie, and Uncle Bill. I enjoy listening to your podcast every week and wanted to share an idea that might be helpful to the woman visiting Arkansas for a wedding, episode 142. I should say this is an idea I heard somewhere but cannot remember the original source. Bravo on not taking credit for an idea that's not your own. <laughs> this is a good idea. I've heard of this idea before, though. I think it's collectively just one out there. And now. we don't require academic sourcing here at the <laughs> podcast. When someone will be visiting a town where they used to live and aren't sure they can make individual arrangements to visit every friend, set up office hours in a coffee shop. A sample message via email or social media could read, Hello, Little Rock friends. I'll be in town for Betsy's wedding, and while I'll be spending the majority of my time helping with the wedding, I would love to catch up with you. I will be at Main Street Coffee on Tuesday the 15th from 2 to 4.30. Stop by if you can, and we can catch up over one of their famous mochas. Best wishes, Julie. The letter writer can then hang out in the coffee shop with a good book as her friends come and go, and the friends have some flexibility with their scheduling. Thanks again for your wonderful podcast and your time, Gretchen. I love it. I love that idea. This reminds me of the couple that lived in Chicago and then they would go to Boston at Christmas time and they would really need like to figure out how to handle getting together with everyone. We said post up at a bar for the night and tell everyone that you're there or a restaurant or a coffee shop is another great idea for a daytime post up. I like that we're calling this a post up. It's just fun. <laughs> and I'm, I'm impressed with your steel trap memory. And as you told the story further and further, I said, oh, OK, oh, yeah, no, I, now I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we heard from Anne Welp, Lilixen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is bringing us back to episode 71, way back, pre-100, where we talked about gamers meeting in real life. Anne writes, Hi, yesterday I listened to episode 71, started at episode one roughly a month ago, where a listener asked a question about how to introduce his in-game friends to his real-life friends. As an avid gamer myself, I loved this question, even more so because my boyfriend and I met in an MMORPG, World of Warcraft. The first time we met in person was at a guild meeting where we all called each other by our in-game names, which must have sounded very funny to the people around us when we went to London for the day. When we got into a relationship three years ago, it was sometimes a little bit awkward because we really didn't know whether to call each other Faithra and Welp or Tom and Anne. Thanks for reminding me of these delightful experiences. It brought a smile to my face. Best Anne, also known as Welp or Lilixen, winky face. Anne, thank you for sharing this delightful story with us. And I'm sure that those walks down memory lane are fun for you in ways that I can't even imagine because they sound so creative and imaginative and fantastic. <laughs> thank you for giving us just a little hint of that flavor. We certainly appreciate it. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Today's postscript is a reading from one of our favorites, The Rituals of Dinner. This is pages 294 and 295, and it's on ending a party, guests leaving, and hosts' responsibilities. I just love this because Visser really gets into talking about like uh, just all the customs from some different places around how to actually end. And we, we have people talk about turn the lights down. Oh, the guests won't leave. And I just thought this was kind of a nice little insight. It begins. 
The hostess rises, according to a 19th century writer who calls him or herself a member of the aristocracy from 1881, and shakes the hand of everybody. Guests, he or she goes on, must on no account formally say goodbye to one another, but only to their host and hostess. They must salute other people only if they are nearby or if they necessarily walk past them. Guests have come to honor their hosts. They must not seem to be openly using the occasion in order to rub shoulders with others. The coarseness of the expression gives some idea of the danger. Dinner brings people into close contact. In Japan, in the Arab world, and elsewhere, there follows the threshold business of putting on shoes. In many traditional societies, the host would have to dress up as well and accompany his guests to the gates of his estate, or even take a guest of honor part of the way home. In Latin America, visitors who are supposed to protest by saying, no se moleste, don't bother, must be accompanied without fail to the outside exit or to the street. A host will walk with them to the bus stop and even wait there till the bus comes, or at the very least stand for a moment or two watching the guests as they disappear down the street. A Tonga feast had not ended until, by means of a log gong, all the villages in the vicinity had been informed about the details of the feast, how much food had been distributed, how long the party had lasted, how many people had graced it with their presence. Later, there must be another feast. Sometimes the leftovers are kept especially for a smaller, more intimate party, or several of them soon after. During the banquet, there has occasionally been time set aside for planning a future meal. Who will give it, and at what date? When it does take place, the hosts of the present feast may be given special delicacies to remind them and everybody else of their previous generosity. In our own culture, it has been custom to call and leave visiting cards within a few days after a party. Nowadays, thoughtful guests telephone, or better still, send a card or letter with their thanks. They ought soon, of course, to plan a return invitation. At a Tonga feast, guests who have finished eating simply gather up their food baskets and leave without a word. They do not say goodbye, because feasting never ends— and to sound valedictory might be to insinuate that socializing, indeed society itself, might conceivably grind to a halt. I love the fact that we place importance on goodbye, whether that's actually saying it and walking someone halfway to their home, you know, as a responsibility of a host to make sure the safety of your guest is ensured. I crack up always when I hear the very old notions of like that you only say goodbye to the host because otherwise it's acting as if the guests are more important than the hosts themselves. And at the same time, you want to recognize, let's say you get invited to a business dinner and someone is making a connection for you. Of course you want to pay respect to the host who's made this connection as opposed to the guest who you're so very glad to be meeting. I love what's at play here. There's so many different pieces. And as is so often the case in the, the more traditional etiquette, we see the 
the original source for what is now an echo of an etiquette or a right. manner in today's world. The idea that, no, you don't just ever slip away from a party. You always say goodbye to your host if you can. You catch their eye. You say goodbye. We say you don't need to, to make a grand um, exit, a grand <laughs> process about your exit. You don't need to tell everyone at the party that you're leaving and why you're going. And did it, Yes, it is okay to leave a little bit early, but you do. You, you, you talk to your host. You say goodbye and you thank them. And maybe it's not um, as formalized as we're hearing in this particular example, but that echo remains and the, the core courtesy still remains. And these partings are important, however we manage them. Absolutely. I just love that last section, too, about the Tonga party, where the idea is that you don't say goodbye because we are never really finished socializing with one another. And I just thought that was such an interesting concept. Well, and in that particular case, that, you're, that there's already this implied preparation for the next feast that's oh, coming. Yeah. And, and the reflections that we have today that these invitations are often reciprocal, that if you've been invited to a dinner party, you would be so kind as to reply and invite someone to a dinner party at your house In later kind. on. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I really loved it. We don't often focus on goodbyes and we don't focus so much on how to end things well. And I like the idea of taking a moment to think about how to end things well. And we like to end this show well, and today we are going to end it on a high note. And we are actually turning to Daniel Post-Senning to hear about some of the very good etiquette he was experiencing in the world this past month. Absolutely. I wanted to, to take over the salute today to offer a very personal and a very heartfelt thank you to the doctors, the nurses, and the entire staff at Boston Children's Hospital. And we by no means interacted with everyone, but we interacted with a great number of people over the course of our almost month stay there. And it was a remarkable experience at what was a very difficult time in our lives. The people there treated us with such courtesy and with such care that it made a difficult situation as good as it possibly could be. And I was continually blown away by um, the incredibly good job that the Boston Children's Hospital did hosting us. And that was everyone. And I know there are some folks there that listen to this show, and I want them to know that I think about them often and really appreciate everything that they did for the Senning family when we were there. Oh, such a lovely salute. Thank you so much for being a part of our show and listening to our show. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. We love to hear your voice. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter... I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please help us out and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Please also consider leaving us a review and trying to get a friend to sign up and subscribe as well. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. We appreciate him so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. What am I supposed to do? That's the question. Well, uh, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. <laughs>